2: We, uh, we may not be alone. This is The Garden of Doom. Welcome, everybody, into Garden of Doom, and this week we are visiting with one of the most interesting and polarizing events in U.S. history, um... And it is, we're, we're going to go to November 1963, and yes, if you're thinking the Kennedy assassination, you are correct. And today with us is one of the co-authors of a book on that very su- subject, Katana Wright-Zachary. She's coming to us from West Texas, so greetings. Thank you for coming on the show, Katana.
4: Thank you for having me, Jeff.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, so I guess we'll just jump right into it. But first, uh, you know, before we well, before we jump into it, we'll jump into find out about you. So why why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
4: Well, I'm a retired educator who still works part time at a small college. One of the things as an English teacher that I taught so frequently was not only how to write essays, but how to write research papers. And what I wanted students to learn was that research can be fascinating if you're interested in the topic. So I gave them quite a bit of leeway when they were writing research papers to find topics they were interested in. One of the topics I've been interested in since I was 11 years old is the JFK assassination. And what fascinated me was that this was really the first historic event that I remember clearly Uh, And also the fact that my grandparents lived in Dallas when this occurred. My grandmother kept all of the newspapers from the area, which I I went poured over just because I was fascinated by what had happened. One did not expect the President of the United States to be murdered in broad daylight. Right. Uh, Even an 11-year-old knew there was something wrong with this picture. And I think my parents and most of their friends assumed, well, it's just one of those terrible things that can happen until Sunday when Jack Ruby killed the assassin, the accused assassin. And that's when even adults were going, there's something wrong with this picture. And that's when I began noticing that oftentimes the newspaper reports would change from day to day, not just with updated information, but with altered information. And that was something that captured my attention. And so from that point on, I read every book I could get my hands on. Uh, That was long before the internet. So if you wanted to do research, you had to go to libraries. You had to find books. You had to go to archives. And that was one thing that Sarah and I did, being old-fashioned researchers. We went to archives, uh, the morgues and newspapers, Uh, we found individuals who could tell stories that had never been printed. And so our book, the Lone Star Speaks is different in some respects than others, because we didn't set out to prove an agenda.
0: We simply followed the breadcrumbs that these individuals left us. And of course
4: spent months and years verifying stories. But it was kind of like, we're going to preserve these stories and we'll try to make sure there's enough evidence that they're not just, you know, this is what I dreamed one day, that people were really there, they did really know Johnson, Kennedy, whoever, and their stories deserve to be preserved.
2: Yeah, this is one of the, you know, big five. Nowadays, like in the last five years or so, everything's a conspiracy. but. You know, growing up, I'm, I'm a bit younger than you, but I'm also a bit older than probably most of the listeners. Um, and growing up, there was, you know, Bigfoot, was Noah's Ark real, uh, uh, you know, a, a few others. Roswell, of course, w- one of the biggest, but who killed Kennedy? And then the moon landing grew in popularity uh, sort of as I got older. Again, now, you know, everything's a conspiracy and, and, and you know, that... that you know that that's both good and bad. I mean, especially for my podcast. But uh, the the Kennedy one was so pervasive that you know Oliver Stone wrote, wrote you know, made the movie, uh, which you know was was intriguing. Um, and uh, you know, I, I guess since I mentioned it, like, did I assume you've seen that movie?
4: Yes. Oh, yes.
2: What did you think of it?
4: I realized my husband did not know very much at all about the Kennedy assassination because it had never been. The, uh, that interesting to him. So we went together as adults and saw this, and he kept asking me, is that true? Is that true? And I would say, that is from Jim Garrison's trial. That is from Jim Marr's book. That is from Mark Lane's book, Plausible Deniability. So, did Oliver Stone use sources and not just make things up? Of course he did. Did he speculate a little bit? Of course he did. But you have to remember that when Uh, people are brought to trial. Even lawyers have to use their evidence and speculate in order to investigate
2: even more thoroughly. And so that's basically what Stone was doing. Yeah, it was a very interesting movie. But, I mean, if anyone has been to Dallas, you you can't really miss going to, you know, the the library, the building, the grassy knoll, uh, because it's right there, right on the... Outskirts of downtown itself. Uh, yeah. and just call it a grassy knoll is, is to romanticize it. It's a, it, it, it's just a regular escarpment. It's just, it's just a, it's just a slight incline uh, of grass between an, a lower roadway and an upper roadway. Uh, and then the old, what, what's that building called? The, 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 Depository. the, right. Um, it, it so it's a nondescript looks like every other sort of four or five story building you know red brick you know in many cities that are you know of of little use or no use and eventually are going to be converted into you know uh, condos or 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 hipster restaurants or whatever um but of course this one won't because of the historic nature um but it 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 does Stretch credulity as to how someone could sneak a sniper rifle rifle into either of those places uh, and and make a shot and and get away. I mean, it's it's it, it's rather incredible because it, 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 it's it's actually a rather small scene. It's not spread out. It's it's condensed. Um, very much, much so. People
4: are are used to panoramic cameras. Yeah, you know, who took big you know panoramic photos and they think it's very large. It is not large at all.
2: Yeah, I was, I was struck by this. It's, it, I mean it, it's, it's not even a, it's not a long walk. It's a short walk even for a lazy man, and that's that me, I'm a lazy man. Uh, anyway, so let's get back to so what did your research tell you? I mean, I guess you, we can start from the start.
4: Well, one of the first people that we interviewed was a man named Robert T. Davis, whose nickname was Sonny. And we were introduced to him by an attorney who had been a friend of his. And I didn't even know this man had existed, much less he was still alive. He was in his eighties and he was very welcoming. He had been the assistant attorney general of Texas under attorney general Wagner Carr in 1963 and 64. And when the investigation, which should have taken place in Texas, because that is where the murder took place, was taken away from Texas. Wagner Car still wanted to keep his finger on the pulse of
2: this, and so he sent Mr. Davis to Dallas in March. That's your cuckoo clock telling you it's noon Central. Let,
4: <laughs> well, let me let me stop that. I usually do, but I forgot
2: that's all right it's one o'clock eastern here where we're recording of which uh, uh she's in central time so of course it's noon there and you know c- people still have cuckoo clocks
4: yes so uh robert davis was sent to dallas to serve on the wagner commi- uh, on the warren commission Warren. Yeah. and so as an attorney he understood the process that you should go through of course in trials you do for uh You do prepare witnesses, but this was supposed to be an investigation. And yet these witnesses were prepared before they officially were questioned. They knew exactly what they were going to be asked. They knew exactly what answers they were supposed to give. And you can tell by looking at the transcripts when it'll say, off the record, off the record, and that happened often, that people would get off the script. And they would stop them because they didn't want to hear more than what they were prepared to write down.
2: Why would there be anything off the record in an investigation?
4: That's exactly, that's a very good point. And especially when it happened over and over and over again and there were these long gaps in tapes where uh, conversations were held. And then oftentimes they would pick up, and not even pick up where they had left off. They changed the subject totally. Interesting. So that, things like that were things that after a while, Sonny Davis said, I just couldn't handle this anymore. It wasn't being done properly. And so he went back and he told us, he said, I'll tell you what I told Wa- uh, Attorney General Wagner Carr. I said, Wagner, it's the biggest whitewash I have ever seen. And he said, Lyndon Johnson is running the whole thing. So he said that I don't want to be involved with it anymore uh,
2: for anybody and so who doesn't know
4: you're right there to have someone who had actually seen how the Warren Commission worked say it was a whitewash
2: Lyndon Johnson was a Texas politician. he also happened to be the vice president, so while this was going on, he was the president um he also didn't run for reelection uh you know for reasons which are you know varied it's it's sort of described as noble and then you know he didn't didn't like what he wasn't proud of his record on the Vietnam War but you know there's always been sort of rumblings that it had something to do with the way this investigation um was executed
4: well let's face it in politics if you don't have a serious health issue you don't run because you don't think you're going to win usually yeah that's the bottom line usually
2: Even when you do have a serious health issue, you still
4: run. Yes, yes, FDR ran and ran and ran. You know, you just, as long as you think you're going to win, it's better to die in office, let's face it. So, yes, there were things going on behind the scenes, as there always are in politics, uh, where Lyndon had a feeling he wasn't going to be reelected, and that would be too humiliating. He had quite an ego. Well,
2: you'd have to be to be, you know, president. And what was he, was he a senator before that?
4: He was a congressman and a senator.
2: Okay, yeah. I
4: mean, he just moved up the ranks very quickly.
2: Right. Okay. So back back to the investigation with with uh, and all of these irregularities. I mean, I could see if somebody was, uh, you know, their their attorney was telling them to assert the Fifth Amendment rights, but that's not the case. Off the record is really more of a. You know, if you're arguing with a court, then you're you're having, you know, arguing discussions for a judge to de- to decide, or really more in journalism than an in investigation. Yes. I think that's my impression. Okay, alright, well, uh, yeah, please continue with, with your narrative.
4: So that was one of the first people whose story we preserved. Uh, that was also when we found out we had taken a tape recorder, we were meeting at a La Madeline's in Austin, and we found out that uh, at least Sonny didn't mind being recorded, but most of our witnesses did. The moment you pulled out a tape recorder and said, do you mind if I record this? They clammed up, even though they didn't really want to. So after a while, we just started using the old fashioned taking notes and telling them I'm just going to write this down. And, and, you know, they were fine with that. They didn't like having recordings made. And so that is why we'll have some other researchers say to you, did you take these? And we'll say no, and it was simply because the person being interviewed didn't want to be taped. I, I don't know why, but it, it certainly uh, changed their whole attitude when we were questioning them. And of course, what you want is for them to be relaxed uh, so that they'll tell you everything that they know. Uh, and so we always approached them. And I think being two females, maybe it we did better than males might have. Uh, Sarah had a fabulous brownie recipe that we always took to men. And as they were munching on brownies, they were just telling us things right and left. <laughs> um,
2: you know, what? this actually seems like a good time to introduce Sarah in abstention and tell us a little about about Sarah. Yes, my
4: co-author is Sarah Peterson. She is younger than I am and does not remember the assassination the way I do. But uh, in California, when she was at the University of Laverne, she wrote her senior thesis on Lyndon and had some problems with one of the professors who did not want to allow her to write on this topic. And years, and finally she had to go to a different a department, the history department. And the history department said, go for it. It's history. But years later she found out that this particular professor had worked for the Rand Corporation, which we now know was a CIA front. And so that might be why that person did not want her doing any kind of writing on Lyndon Johnson. But that just ended up, we worked at the same West Texas college and realized we both had been collecting information for years and years. And so, we were asked to speak at the West Texas History Symposium on 50 years after the assassination, what we know now that we didn't know then. And word spread that we were collecting stories and people found us as much as we found them. It was just like, we would ask someone, why have you waited 50 years to tell this story? I've never heard this story before. And some people would say, look,
3: When you save on auto insurance for driving safe with USAA SafePilot, you'll feel like a big deal. Even in a traffic jam. Save up to 30% with USAA SafePilot. Restrictions apply.
4: My family was threatened. Would you have told if you thought your kids were going to be killed? And of course we answered, no. I understand completely. Others said, nobody asked me. So I never told. And others said, I heard what happened to other people who talked. I wasn't going to take a chance. What but years... finally, after 50 years, you know, they decided to share their stories.
2: Oh, that's what I was about to ask. Like, so, so what was the time period? When did you start your investigation, and when did the book get
4: published? Actually, we uh, started as far as putting notes together and interviewing people in 2013, the, uh, the year of the 50th anniversary. And it took us about six years to get things together enough to get a, a book out of this.
2: Well, still, people still being quiet after fifty plus years is a uh, they they've got to be scared.
4: Yes, that tells you a, a great deal right there.
2: Yeah, I mean after after fifty years, usually you're either too old to care, or or you're you're long since worried about recriminations.
4: Well, as one man told us, he said, "My wife has passed away. My children are adults now." I'm going to talk but he said I didn't feel that way when I had young children.
2: All right, well good. Let's let's get into the meat of it then. So, uh, I guess for the for the sake of the uninitiated, what what is a brief version of the official story and then you can start deconstructing, you know, the the part the parts of the official story that that, that you guys could corroborate and what you uh could um crack apart.
4: All right. The official version is that uh, a young 24-year-old former Marine who had defected to Russia, married a Russian woman, and come back very easily for some reason to the United States after a few years, had had a spat with his wife, uh, gotten upset with her, taken his rifle to the Texas School Book Depository where where he worked as a clerk and decided to shoot the president. Now, that's possible. There's no doubt it's possible. There's no doubt that Lee Harvey Oswald, the man in question, did work at the depository along with us numerous other people. Uh, He may very well have had an argument with his wife, and there's no doubt he did defect to Russia. But there's no evidence that he disliked Kennedy. So there are theories that have cropped up that John Conley, the governor of Texas at the time, was also riding with Kennedy in the motorcade, as were both their wives. And John Conley had denied him uh, apparently a a new look at his dishonorable discharge. He had been honorably discharged from the Marines until he defected to Russia. And when he returned, that was changed to uh, less than honorable. And he was upset about that. And he may have had good reason to be. No one really knew why he defected. Uh, So some people have speculated that he wasn't even aiming at Kennedy. He was aiming at Conley, and that's how President Conley, I mean, Governor Conley got hit. But there were more wounds on President Kennedy than there were on Conley, so uh, it would appear that Kennedy was the major target,
2: even though they both may have been targets, there's no de- uh, no question. Right, he would have to be an excellent shot with his bad shots.
4: Yes, exactly, yes. Had the terrible luck for all of them. Yeah. So in that case, that's the story that everyone was fed. And like I said, until Sunday, two days after the assassination, I think most people accepted that. Yes, there are disgruntled people that may be, you know, more emotionally disturbed than we realize, and who knows until a nightclub owner who was friendly with the dallas police somehow or another got inside the police department and stepped out of a crowd of reporters and put one bullet right through the middle of lee harvey oswald and it hit so many major organs that he didn't survive and there wasn't any doubt he wasn't there to wound him to scare him he was there to kill him right and so that's when people began saying Something's fishy about this. First of all, how do you, why do you not guard an accused assassin of the president of the United States more closely? Why didn't you move him during the midnight hours when nobody would have known about it? Well, there were explanations that the the press had, had claimed they weren't having access to him, and they wanted to make sure that everyone got their pictures. Well, they got their photos all right. But they were of him grimacing as a bullet goes through his stomach so i think that's when all of a sudden people began to say if this is fishy then the whole story's fishy and that's when we began having people begin researching on their own going through the newspaper reports talking to agents finding witnesses that the dallas police and the secret service and the fbi didn't bother to even find and there was so much controversy That President Johnson took the investigation away from Texas, moved, had the car moved so that it wasn't even left there as evidence. Of course, the body was taken out with no autopsy, which broke the chain of evidence right there. Uh, Caused all sorts of problems when it came to trying to, if you were going to try to have a trial for Oswald. But here's the lucky situation. There was going to be no trial for Oswald. He hadn't lived long enough to testify.
2: Right. Yeah. The, the, the avoidance of the trial was the expiration of his life. So
4: Exactly. And so I think a lot of them thought, maybe honestly, we don't have to be that careful in this investigation. No one's going to protest this. He's dead. Right. Well, little did they know there were too many Americans that didn't, didn't buy this story. And they did begin to investigate on their own, and they weren't people that you thought you would see at UFO sightings, you know, with their tinfoil hats and things of this nature. These were attorneys, uh, educated people who just saw too many holes in the story.
2: Well, they were and voters. I mean, there were also there was also the anti-Vietnam, uh, you know, so question the government kind of thing. But you know, uh, uh, probably presumably that the, the, the The, the people running this investigation, they weren't really concerned with, well, just say what they, they called them hippies back then. You probably have heard the word to mean the audience, not you, of course. Um, and they probably really weren't worried about them or figured they were, they were going to vote for the other guy anyway. Um, but the, but this was the professional class, the, you know, the, the, the landed gentry, so to speak, and, and possibly, and their power base, their voters, uh, questioning them. And that, that, you know, might have been something new.
4: And also, I think in every city, I'm sure, and and beyond the United States as well, there were groups of people, some of them very large groups of people who had not voted for Kennedy, had not been swayed over in the three and a half years he'd been president to his side. As one man told me, whose father had been a Dallas cop, he said, Mrs. Zachary, some of the dallas cops and he said i mean a lot of them hated kennedy and he didn't say dislike he said hated and that was true in all sorts of cities uh if you find oh one reason i love to find old newspapers and magazines if you find uh older newspapers and magazines there were all sorts of articles being written at the time that kennedy was shot asking if he was even going to be reelected it was that much of a concern which is one reason why he had come to texas he needed to try to boost up his image in texas Um, and so he wasn't the most beloved person that he became literally overnight uh, throughout america and of course there were great many people who might have said on friday morning i can't stand him i don't care if somebody shoots him who would have never said that afterwards But uh, he was not well liked in pockets of of all of the major cities, and Dallas was one of them. So it's, you have to remember that means that there's lots of undercurrents and people talking among themselves after the assassination about, well, we know that the anti-Castro Cubans were angry with him because he didn't provide air cover and some of their relatives were killed. Right, we know that mafia members, and there were more of them than we would like to think, hated him because they had supposedly helped his father get him elected, and then his brother
2: became attorney general, and you know he was out to to shut down the mafia. Well, he we also closed down the the you know their their East Coast you know Las Vegas streams of Havana. Yes, you exactly. Know.
4: And and we know that the military was not happy with him because they didn't feel like he was being strong enough uh, confronting communism. There were so many groups of people, including oil men, who didn't want their uh, tax allowance cut, who were unhappy with him that people forget how many enemies he had. And one thing Sarah and I sat down and discussed is We think of these as individual groups but they're not always. Let's face it, members of the CIA often came from the military so they had ties to two groups. Believe it or not, the mafia gets drafted just like everyone else so they are mafia people who actually are in the military. That's two connections that work together. We know the CIA and the mafia did work together because we found documentation of Johnny Roselli and Santo Traficante being used by the CIA. Would some of these people put aside their personal differences, work together if they had a common goal that was strong enough? And I think the answer to that is definitely yes, they would have.
2: Well, the history of politics would tell us yes
4: yes Polit- uh, politician politics make strange bedfellows as they say and mm. i think it does in all sorts of organizations
2: yeah i i mean i'm going back to you know the the very beginning i mean you know uh you know Su- sumerian you know assyrian whatever akkadian <laughs> you know there's there's always been uh, and i'm sure before that i'm sure that, that it just, uh, just just from when we have the writing but uh you know there's always been yeah uh, use of marriage and the enemy of my enemy is my friend and uh, you know, and rivalries and, and strange alliances that turn into enemies again that cause yet stranger alliances, and that, that's just sure. the way of the world. And
4: people have said to us, I don't believe governments kill their own leaders. And finally, we'll say, have you, lost, have you forgotten your history? The play *Julius Caesar by Shakespeare is based on fact. The senators each took a turn stabbing Julius Caesar so they would all be equally guilty. That's the government killing its own leaders. Yes, of course that happens. Sometimes that's how uh, even kings and queens lose their thrones. You know, they're assassinated and someone else takes over. I think we just don't want to think that would happen in a free country. But sadly enough, it does.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, uh, Kennedy was not the first assassinated president. Uh, you know, the others. I mean, you know, they're not as well covered, and maybe it's, you know there wasn't government involvement. Maybe there was. I don't even know. Um, but uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, I mean, the, the, there's more than one royal family, and got beheaded by other members of royal families, or you know, other well, I'll use this term again, land of gentry, lords, and and other nobles who uh, weren't weren't so thrilled with them and wanted you know. Their their side to become you know the the recognized uh, kings and queens and and you know uh, you know Mary Queen of Scots is you know sort of a a, a, a famous one you know everyone always <laughs> used the yeah. term the Jacobins you know <laughs> and, yeah
4: sure right. well and also uh, on the Warren Commission Alan Dulles who had been the former head of the CIA who'd been fired um, made the comment that well we know that you know historically. Uh, assassins are uh, work alone and as far as we know in the case of garfield and McC- uh, mckinley that was true but one person brought up and said what about lincoln john right. wilkes booth did not work alone they hung people who were part of that conspiracy well Dulles didn't really want to hear about that because the warren commission had already made up its mind who the scapegoat was going to be and they didn't want any evidence that would point in any other direction Now, you have to ask yourself, why, why did we not want an honest
2: investigation? Well, that's a good question. So Katana, why?
4: I would think because the fingers would have pointed at people in the government. And I have to admit, as shocked as we all were by the situation period, how much more shocked would we have been if we had found out that this was possibly a coup de grace? just a change in government right and would we have supported the new administration if we had had doubts about how honestly it got there
2: so i i don't know if we should jump to what your conclusion or conclusions are or if we should sort of go piece by piece as to you know what what parts of the official story you were able to deconstruct and and find questions in. Yeah, let, let's let's save the conclusions till the end. Let's let's go through what what the official story was and what parts of it uh, you were able to um, deconstruct or debunk.
4: Well, one of the things that was interesting is uh, the fact that the Warren Commission put Oswald on the sixth floor at the time of the killing, and later Chief of Police Jesse Curry admitted in his book. We never had enough evidence to put Oswald on that floor at 1230 with a rifle in his hand. So, in other words, if he had gone to trial, there would have been enough doubt that he probably would have been found not guilty. All right, then what do you do? You haven't looked at any other suspects. You've thrown them all out. What are you going to do then? which explains to a certain extent why we don't want this trial to ever take place. We don't have enough evidence to convict this man. Let's just let him go to his grave as presumed guilty. Uh, one of the people that we talked to was a woman who had been working for one of the school book companies book companies and worked on the fourth floor. And she and some of her coworkers were at the windows of the fourth floor watching the, uh, motorcade. It was obvious something had happened. They did hear some of what turned out to be gunshots. And you could tell from the people running and falling down on the grass that they knew something was wrong. So she and a friend, Victoria Adams, uh, ran across and looked out through as many windows as they could, but part of the fourth floor was also offices. So it wasn't the entire width of the depository. And then when they realized, okay, we can't see anything. They ran to the elevator to go downstairs, and the elevator was stuck up above them. So they took the rickety stairs that everyone had to use in that building. There was one set of stairs that went from the first floor up to the seventh floor. And she, Sandra Stiles, uh, described this to me. I got a hold of her by phone. And she said they were old, they were rickety. We were in skirts and high heels and hose going down those stairs, and you could hear it from top to bottom. You know, that's how rickety and creaky they were when people walked on them. And she said, we did not know that our supervisor, Dorothy Garner, had followed us to the door and just stood there. But she said, we did know. No one trailed us down those stairs from up above us. No one met us coming, as we were going down, you know, coming up. And she said, except we got to the bottom. And then that is when Roy, truly the superintendent of the building and Marion Baker, the police officer started coming up the stairs. So by timing this, there doesn't appear to have been enough time for Oswald or anyone else to have gone down
2: those stairs without either being seen or heard. And there's no elevator there's no fire escapes there's no he couldn't have gotten to the roof and jumped to another roof or anything like that no no john wick style heroics
4: no it sounds good in the movie but the buildings were too far apart yeah. uh somebody there were crowds out there by what would have been the fire escape who would have seen someone coming down
0: as a parent no two days are ever the same
3: Where there's outdoor work to be done, there's Echo Outdoor Power Equipment. Echo products deliver the reliability, quality, and performance you need to tackle everything on your outdoor to-do list. From chainsaws and string trimmers to leaf blowers and edgers, Echo's full range of pro-grade outdoor power tools are built to meet the demands of outdoor work. Visit us today, your local Echo dealer. Learn more at echo-usa.com. Echo. Power on and on.
4: There doesn't appear to be any way.
2: Especially someone with a rifle.
4: I'm not saying there wasn't someone up there, because people did see figures in the windows, Mm -hmm. more than one figure, for that matter. But if you take a look at pictures of the sixth floor, what the men had been working on that morning, including Billy Lovelady and several of the others, is they were laying a new floor on half of the, of the sixth floor and that's a it's a large building you've seen it mm-hmm. uh, and so they had had to move all of the boxes of books to the other end of the building which meant they piled them up pretty high so someone could have hidden amongst those boxes of books if he was dressed appropriately when people started running up the stairs to the 6th floor and the 5th floor and the 7th floor of they came in mass. There were sheriff's deputies. There were secret service agents supposedly from Dallas who had not been on duty that day. There were uh, uh, police officers. There were plainclothesmen. There were, I mean, they didn't even all even know each other. So if you were dressed appropriately, and you waited till enough people got up there, you could have stood up and wandered around and blended right in.
2: Except for the fact that they would have found a rifle lying around because you couldn't <laughs> have blend you couldn't have blended in with a sniper rifle.
4: Well, the rifle had already been hidden. Right. They did find a rifle. And of course that's another problem. Uh, the two men that found it, Eugene Boone, and we did visit with him, and Seymour Weissman, who had passed away. Both identified it as a German Mauser. Now Seymour Weitzman had owned a gunshot. You would have thought he would have known a rifle, recognized the type of rifle, particularly since Italian Carcano has that stamped on it. So that's an, uh, another big problem that people who are questioning some of this are saying the only reason they didn't leave this a German Mauser is because there was supposedly a mail order where Oswald had ordered a Carcano. Well, if Oswald ordered a Carcano, we can't have the rifle be a German Mauser.
2: Right. Two different kinds of rifles. Uh, was there a scope on it? Was there evidence that the rifle had been fired? The photos
4: or- that show the uh, police officers carrying the rifle out show no scope on it at all. Okay. But then later, mysteriously, it had a scope on it. Right
2: and shells there's
4: just so many holes in the story that you don't have to be you know a brilliant sherlock holmes to figure out something doesn't add up
2: what about jack ruby What, what what's his background
4: you know we met a woman who had known jack ruby and finally i asked her i said are you telling me that you and jack ruby were intimate because jeff she was this beautiful tall blonde And I look at pictures of Jack Ruby. I think, what did you see in him? And she said, well, yeah, we ended up started out friends, but we ended up sleeping together. And I finally, I just looked at her. I said, how? How did this happen? (laughs) (laughs) And she laughed and she said, well, I was always a sucker for men that seemed to have power. And she said, Jack always acted. And she said, I thought he really did. As if he
0: knew everybody.
4: Now, that part of that was the typical showman front. You know, he clapped everybody on the back. He Mm -hmm. made a point of remembering their name, or he called them good buddy and, you know, whatever. That was how he made a living, running his carousel strip club. But she said, I was attracted to powerful men, and Jack appeared to be powerful. Well, she didn't think he was involved with the Mafia but evidence shows he was. So to a certain extent, he was a powerful man in his own little world.
2: Do we have any indication as to why he would have shot Oswald?
4: Well, I'll tell you, uh, Sarah, had to make a trip to Las Vegas for the college for a conference. And so I just went along and while we were there, we went to the mob museum. And to me, if you have any doubts as to whether Ruby is in, was in the mob, there is a picture of him in the Mob Museum as being a mobster. I figure those people did their research and know. But on top of that, there was a gentleman who had been associated with Meyer Lansky, who was a big, big name in mafia. Sure. And he was he was still alive. And
2: also screwed out of Havana.
4: Yes. This gentleman's name was Bernie Sinworth. And so since we had come and they knew we were working on a book, the mob museum people gave us his telephone number. So while Sarah was in her conference, I was out at the pool by the hotel calling Bernie Sindler. And I got some of the strangest looks because he was in the hospital, but he was lonely and he wanted to talk. And that worked out rather well for me. But at the same time, he couldn't hear very well. So I was having to yell these questions, and then I'd have to repeat back things. And you can imagine the looks I got from people as I was saying, now you're telling me that Johnny Roselli was killed by the FBI. And, you know, people turn around and look at me like, who on earth are you? and (laughs) Who are you talking to? But Bernie Sindler told me, he said, everyone in the mob knew that Jack Ruby already had cancer. He knew it. His days were numbered. Not to mention that he owed the mob a favor. And so his way of returning that favor was he had to silence Oswald.
2: Okay. So he got out of debt. He had nothing to lose. And so he went out in a, a hell of glory or a blaze of glory.
4: Well, and, and do you tell the mob no? Uh,
2: I, I would imagine not. I probably wouldn't. I've uh, I've never been involved to my knowledge. But, Me yeah.
4: either. but I, I think they knew a few people who had told the mob no, and they didn't want to end up like that. Better to die of cancer than to die on a hook, like Jackson did and some of the others.
2: All right. So, all right. So, and then, uh, yeah, so that's a little bit on Jack Ruby. So in your investigations, uh, you know, which of the theories ha- did did you hone in on that you ended up dismissing, or which were the theories that... that surprised you or which you know what path surprised you uh you know that, that took you to your ultimate conclusions.
4: Well a gentleman that, that I met with numerous times and got to end up being very good friends with uh surprised us. I overheard him talking to another older man about the Bay of Pigs and I've always been interested in history so when they quit I stopped him and said, Oh I understand you were at the Bay of Pigs. And he said, Yes, yes, I was. And I said, Well, how? How did that come about? And he said, Well, I was a young Navy lieutenant. And um, he said, What isn't common knowledge is that Cuba didn't have enough anti Castro Cubans. So lots of Americans that were willing to, to do this darkened their skin. And if they could speak Spanish, it was an asset. And they, Went in as if they were Cubans. And the whole idea was that we were going to terrify Castro and he was going to give up. And of course, it didn't work. But he, he described what it was like that day after the loss. And it was, you could tell it still bothered him after all these years. But then I asked him the same question I asked everybody Well, you're old enough to remember where were you the day Kennedy was killed? And he said, I was in San Diego. And so I let it drop. And it wasn't until several months later, and I talked to him nearly every month because we would meet at a a kind of an antique show, a craft show that we'd meet at every week, uh, every month, that he said something that made me wonder if that was accurate. And I said, now, Mr. Good, you said you were in San Diego on November 22nd, 63. He said, yeah. And I said, what time were you in San Diego? And he kind of grinned and he said, oh, about three o'clock Dallas time. And I said, "What? T- where were you at 1230 Dallas time? And he looked at me and then he, he, he can't lie. He's too honest. He said I was in Daly Plaza. And so that's when I said, I had a feeling. Would you tell me what happened? What were you doing there? He said I was working for the U.S. Marshals and he said we were there on what we called an abort team and he said that's not really the right name. We were not aborting something we had started. We had heard there would be an attempt on Kennedy's life. We were an intervention team and he said we were there. I was there with three other with uh, U.S. Marshal Robert Nash, who is mentioned in the Warren Commission
0: and uh, two other
4: U.S. Marshals, and we were there to, to prevent this from happening. And he said, and then when we weren't able to, I was sent to San Diego on a military flight to explain to the O&I why we hadn't been able to stop this from happening. So he said, I didn't lie to you. I was in San Diego. You just didn't ask me when. Right. And so later I asked him, something about I said well were you looking for Oswald that day were you trying to prevent him from shooting President Kennedy and this is the answer that caught us by surprise he said which Oswald I knew them both and I didn't like either one of them and so that's when it first opened the door that yes there's evidence lots of evidence that there's more than one person using the name Lee Harvey Oswald and setting
2: up the one that ended up getting killed by Jack Ruby. I want to take a, a short, not break, but a, a, a point here. Uh, for those of you who are international uh, and don't really know the geography of the US, uh, Dallas is in US Central Time, which is basically one hour behind Eastern Time. San Diego is on the Pacific Time, so there's actually, so if you heard that he was in Dallas at 1230 in San Diego at three o'clock California time, you're probably thinking to yourself he got there in two and a half hours, no that he got there in four and a half hours um because there's a two hour it's two hours earlier, so he actually had two more hour two more hours to get to you know to receive their orders, get to a military jet, and then you know or transport and, and then take a you know the, the two and a half hour or three hour flight or whatever and land in san diego and uh, you know, there's a story. He, he was in San Diego at 3 o'clock, but not 3 o'clock Dallas time, 3 o'clock San Diego time, which would have been 5 o'clock Dallas time.
4: Yes, 5 o'clock Dallas time. Right. And, and it could be 3, 3.30, you
2: know, around that time. Right, right, right. But well, I just wanted to let them know that it wasn't like, a, you know, two and a half hours, of the, the, you know, so that say, hey, that doesn't check out. It, it, yeah, you know, that's
4: impossible. Yes, yeah, good right.
2: point. Yeah. Okay. All right, so... uh Who was the other Oswald?
4: Well, think about it. We know that there was someone down in Mexico City impersonating Oswald because they sent a photo up to J. Edgar Hoover, who knew this right after the assassination, and it doesn't look anything like Oswald. Mm -hmm. And yet he had been using that name. So that's one person. There's another person who was around the Dallas area, and when Lee Harvey Oswald was at work in the depository, he was out test driving a car, and Oswald didn't even have his driver's license. Uh, he was out getting picked up by a man named Ralph Yates carrying a, a, a package that he referred to as curtain rods, which, you know, came in handy later in the story. He was all over setting Oswald up as someone who was interested in President Kennedy, who wanted to know whether you could kill someone from a rifle from a tall building who wanted to know which tall buildings look down on Dealey Plaza. I mean, just literally setting up the, uh, the patsy that became the Lee Harvey Oswald that worked at the TSBD. So there's at least three, there may have been more than that. Uh, Billy Lovelady, the young man that was standing on the steps that has been, some people have accused him of lying about being there because he did favor Oswald uh is one that someone said could have been used uh we found a witness who lived next door to billy Lovelady. and she said all i can tell you is saturday morning before all of this mistaken identity of where was billy Lovelady standing saturday morning he came to our apartment and told us all about what happened the day before we hadn't even known he worked at the depository she said you have to remember nobody cared about the texas school Book Depository until kennedy got shot you know it was just a building downtown that uh, stored school books and so he told us all about where he was standing who he was standing in front of and she said if he made up a story about this to protect oswald he already had done it by saturday morning and so I think that kind of blows open the people that think that that's Oswald standing there in that
2: photo. It's not. It really is Billy really Lovely. Okay. So at the end of what, so who did kill Kennedy?
4: I, as far as the person that actually fired the shots, and I think there was, there were more than one rifleman. I don't know if we'll ever know. There are people who have admitted it. James Files claimed he was one. I, I really think if you were the person who had killed the President of the United States, you would never go public with that information. I can't imagine someone ever admitting that.
2: Well, who are the powers, they, they were, were the powers, though? We're behind the. Yeah.
4: All right. Well, think about this. You had to have someone smart enough to plan this and that would be a combination of government cia you had to have someone who could pay for this because people don't normally do this free out of patriotism you oftentimes will hire sharpshooters who expect to be paid and paid well so that's why sometimes the oil men were brought into this and if you uh jeff one thing i remember is there were people who were running guns to castro and it wasn't just to make money it was considered a patriotic thing because let's face it we didn't want a communist with missiles 90 miles away from america nobody did right so that was not uncommon for people to pick up extra money running guns down to louisiana where they went to the anti-castro cubans but at the same time you had to wonder if someone had approached, say, some wealthy individuals and said, we we need more weapons to fight Castro so that we don't have to have an out-and-out war. We just want him defeated in any underhanded way we can do it. Can you make a donation that will never be shown on your books? All right. You know there are wealthy people who can do that. I'm sure they do it all the time. Right. So that may have involved some of the wealthy oil men. They may not have realized that some of this money may not have gone to kill Castro until years went by and Castro's still alive, but Kennedy's dead. And what do you tell, what do you tell then? You say, well, yeah, I do remember giving these people some money. I hope it wasn't used for anything, you know, different than what they said. So you have a group that actually paid for this. Then you have whoever the individuals were that were so good at their job that they could take a man out riding in a motorcade without harming his wife, their wives. Because you would think with that much shooting going on, all four of them would have been wounded, not plus the two Secret Service agents.
2: Well, they would also have to have known that that Kennedy refused to be in an armored uh, vehicle or like you know like the Pope mobile, he wanted it to be in a you know basically a convertible. Well, actually, he didn't have an armored vehicle. That the
3: plastic cover that they could have put on if it had rained was not bulletproof where there's outdoor work to be done there's echo outdoor power equipment echo products deliver the reliability quality and performance you need to tackle everything on your outdoor to-do list from chainsaws and string trimmers to leaf blowers and edgers echo's full range of pro-grade outdoor power tools are built to meet the demands of outdoor work visit us today your local echo dealer learn more at echo-usa.com echo
2: power on and on Oh, okay. So either way, it it, uh, it would have been little it, protection. It would have
4: helped because yes, it might have. The glare might have diverted. You know, you know, a bullet. They couldn't have seen him quite as well. But it was not bulletproof. He didn't have a Pope mobile like you know you would have thought. Right. Oddly enough, J. Edgar Hoover did. But Kennedy didn't.
2: Oh, I thought he declined uh, armor, but it just says uh, so. Uh, you know, it might have been a bit of a distraction or or a bit of protection, but it was it was certainly not a. Uh, well, and
4: was, once yeah. the sun came out, there wasn't a need for it. You know, he was a politician to the very end. He wanted his wife there because he knew they wanted to see her. Uh, he wanted to be as close to the voters as he could. This is how politicians work. They don't get reelected by being aloof from the people that you know that like or dislike them, and so I don't think he was that different from other politicians who would have probably ridden through yeah, uh, Dallas. And when he received a uh, warning letter from a woman in Dallas who had written to Pierre Salinger uh, and said, "Look, Dallas, Dallas hates Kennedy. Talk him out of coming to Dallas." The response she got was. The President does not want to think that there is any city in America where the American president cannot safely visit.
2: And that's a good point too. Sure no, that is a good what point. I mean, I guess the bigger point that that, that that you made for me or you know despite me is that even had they put on that covering that the the plan still would have gone forward because it, it was it, it wasn't really armor, it was just plastic.
4: Probably. Uh, I don't know whether they would have thought it would have been such a distraction. They would have waited to uh, another time. I know the gentleman that said that they were there as part of the intervention team uh, said that they really expected it to either happen at the trademark or on the way back to Lovefield. They were caught by surprise at Dilly Plaza, too.
2: So, basically, you, what, your theory is that the money came possibly semi-innocently, people thinking that they were support, supporting anti-Castro. Could have been oilmen, could have been mafia, what have you. The money came, it went through to the channels of some sort of CIA military, uh, you know, uh, command, and they either used internal assets or possibly hired, you know, a, a mafia hit squad. To do this, sh- to do the shooting. And so the, the, the people who funded it, they didn't, they, they never thought for a second that they were funding this action. Uh, so, you know, they, they would pass any scrutiny, any lie detection. You know, they just, they just gave money to, uh, you know, to, uh, a cause. Um, and they were probably smart about it saying, yeah, well, yeah, what are you talking about? I bought a thousand head of cattle and, you know, but they only ended up having, you know, they bought, it turns out they, and there were 976, but nobody counted, you know, or whatever.
4: Right. Uh, and, and it's also possible that they co mingled funds. Right. they We do have documentation in some of the records that released that the mafia gave the CIA money that was supposedly going to help the anti Castro Cubans. Once it's given to the CIA, how do you know where it's used? Right. Wow. And then, of course, the last part is somebody had to be in charge of covering this up. And that involved everyone from Lyndon setting up the Warren Commission to part- and remember one thing we keep saying, this is not the entire FBI, the entire CIA, the entire Secret Service. There are certain individuals in these groups, the military, the CIA, uh, the mafia who helped with this. And of course, the whole, you know, the whole group gets blamed, but all it takes is certain insiders.
2: Where, where can, first of all, what, what's the title of the book and where can people
4: find it? Uh, The Lone Star Speaks, Untold Texas Stories about the JFK assassination. Uh, It's available through Amazon. Uh, Barnes,
2: Uh, I'll help you out here, Barnes and Noble.
4: Yeah, Barnes & Noble, uh, Books A Million, lots of individual bookstores, you just never know. Um, Almost any place that you can order books, you can find it.
2: Okay, great. Is there any other place that people can find you or any other projects you're working on? Are you going to look into RFK, Martin Luther King, anything else?
4: Well, we are still getting information on the Kennedy assassination. There's more. There's always more. And yes, people do ask us, well, how does this tie in with the RFK assassination? And I don't know. We, that's not, we haven't broadened our scope that far yet. But there are people who will swear that yes, it's no coincidence that Martin Luther King and RFK were killed so closely together.
2: Yeah. So do, and, uh, do you think there'll be a second book or you'll just have <laughs> a, a second edition of this one with new information?
4: Well, it, If there's, it's possible if we keep learning enough that yes, we may do an updated version.
2: Okay, well, very interesting. Uh, So, but I I guess just for clarity's sake, the conclusion that, that both of you came to is that Lee Harvey Oswald was not the assassin.
4: There was too much evidence. Well, I can just say he couldn't. He wouldn't have been found guilty if he'd ever gone to trial which means they would have had to look for someone else. You couldn't have just thrown your hands up and said, well, too bad. It wasn't him.
2: Well, th- th- there's a difference between reasonable doubt, and he didn't do it. Um, but Lots uh, of
4: reasonable doubt, yes.
2: Yeah. Uh, so, so you believe that the preponderance of evidence is that it, it was most likely not Lee Harvey Oswald, or or so not not from where they're saying he was.
4: Yes. Now, was he totally innocent i don't think a typical person leaves work and goes and gets his pistol if you're not involved in something but it could be that he realized hey i've been used and I'm obviously get stuck blamed for this as he was and i've got to get out of here okay. so I, I i don't think he's just he totally innocent as far as not being involved in something i just don't know what it is
2: I don't know if this is relevant or not, but we're in the summer of 2023, and and you know, gun laws are certainly a big topic now. What were what were the gun laws in Texas in 1963?
4: Well, uh, uh, more lax than they are now, uh, if, and if people carried uh, rifles around during deer season, kids brought them to school. You know, you had them in your back of the pickups. That wasn't unusual. Uh, it also, apparently, it wasn't that, uh, that unusual to be carrying a pistol with you because people wanted it for self-defense. So they were more lax than they are now. Uh, but I don't know if that would have made a difference. When you talk about that these were probably professional snipers, they have ways of getting whatever ammunition and weapons they need.
2: But even so, it, 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 if... Somebody saw a gun. It was. It would not be that unusual to be to see someone walking around armed. Uh, in, no, in it, 19- it
4: really would not have been, and even with a rifle, because it was deer season. People didn't think that much about it. Oddly enough.
2: Well, I mean, that's sometimes why, why you pick a location, you know, because it wouldn't be odd. Uh, yeah, exactly, where
4: you blend in, you know.
2: That's part of planning. It's, it's, you know, so that's another part of the plan that would come into play. So, uh, you know, uh, yeah, just a, just a little notion that hit me in the head. I I actually would have assumed that they were stricter then for whatever reason. I don't know, but anyway, uh, either way, very interesting stuff. Um, yeah. And if you find out any more information, feel free to reach out again and, uh, uh, I don't know if you if you have any social medias or anything like that where you want people to follow you or not, but if you want to be followed, where can you be found
4: uh well we uh we're we always respond to things like on our quora digest the j f k websites things of that nature uh because people there are always posting information too uh and they also post their own books uh so what we're hoping is that This is the 60th anniversary in November of this event. What we're hoping is that people in college, high school, the next generation will be willing to do or willing and able to do what perhaps we may not finally get to the bottom of this. Now, I noticed the president the other day said there was going to be no more documents released, period. Of course, with a change of administration that that could. You know, change. But once again, you have to wonder: What do they have that they still will not release after sixty years now?
2: That is that is a big question, but uh, it has to be something, right? I mean,
4: it ha- it has to be something. And when you, if you studied the government and the CIA, and you found out about Project Mockingbird and. MK Ultra and some of the horrible, horrible uh, projects that the CIA was involved in and started—I just cannot imagine how much worse it must be that we can know about those things, but we can't know about this.
2: Well, what's what? what, what it, just to, just to be clear, what, what's Project Mockingbird and MKUltra well, there, there are
4: projects where they were where the media was controlled by the CIA. Uh, Their project MKUltra was where the Manchurian Candidate idea came from, of brainwashing and using LSD to not only get people to do what they would not normally do, which hypnosis always said they couldn't, but also to erase the memory of it so they could pass a lie detector test and say, no, I didn't do this, because they have no memory of it. Right and you know then there was project artichoke and there's so many of them project northwoods where we were thinking about uh making it look like cuba had attacked one of our ships and it would give us the uh green light to go ahead and have an actual war with them and it was all all would have been set up cuba wouldn't have attacked us at all i mean somebody that you look at it and think i just cannot imagine how devious these people were and maybe still are. Isn't
2: that the? Well, isn't that 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 plan part of what people think happened in Tonkin?
4: Yes, yes, yes. All of this. So when you think about if if we can know about this, how bad are these other secrets that they simply will not let us know about?
2: Well, I guess uh, actually planning to assassinate the democratically elected head of state is is the the red line that even they don't want people to know has have been crossed all, all the others at least they can say was in, in some form of national security or or uh, or was just an idea that we had that, that that turned out to be a bad idea um and we're better now but that and one
4: you may, you may be right it could be that that we've always had plans in place where if the president doesn't do what we want this is what we do to take care of it
2: yeah that's, that's 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 a that's a tough one to swallow but that is uh I don't know, this is the garden of doom so any place where that thought is welcome it, it it should be well here Well
4: named well named
2: <laughs> All right well I thank you very much for your time uh hope that that cough goes away and Oh thanks. and uh, and yeah and regards to your co-author as well and uh, you know con- continue doing the research and hopefully uh, at some point you'll find that holy grail and and Maybe get those answers. Uh, maybe the 60th anniversary it will prove to uh, be fortuitous. Maybe there'll be uh, some uh, elderly witnesses or or direct you know firsthand involved people who want to come clean. Uh, or maybe they shared a secret with their with their kids who are now you know probably 60 you know and then uh, are ready to talk. But uh, I don't know. We can always hope. And uh, this is this is one of the things that you know. I think the country would really like for this one to be solved.
4: I do, too. Hope I yeah, hope it is.
2: All right. Well, thanks very much for coming into the Garden of Doom. And, folks, uh, certainly uh, buy that book. Um, and, uh, you know, and hopefully you'll give it a nice rating and review on... Audible, if you listen to it on Audible, or if you buy it on Amazon uh, and Barnes & Noble, I'm sure they have review sections as well. And I'd ask that you do the same for this show. Give us five stars. Give us a a nice review. And more important than anything else, probably for the book and for the show, is tell a friend. Go, hey, read this book. I read it. It was really intriguing. And listen to the show. It's it's really intriguing. Um, And with that, thank you again to... Katana Ride Zachary. Uh, and thank you all for listening. And you'll hear from us again next week in Garden Dream of the Dew. was
1: the president of these United States. I dreamed I replaced ignorance, stupidity, and hate. I dreamed the perfect union a perfect law on the night Most of all I dreamed I forgot the day John Kennedy died I dreamed that I could do the job that others had done I dreamed that I was uncorrupt and fair to everyone I dreamed I wasn't gross or base a criminal on the tape and most of all I dreamed I forgot the day John Kennedy died Oh, the day John Kennedy died remember where I was that day, I was upstate in a bar. The team from the university was playing football on TV. Then the screen went dead and the announcer said there's been a tragedy. Unconfirmed reports the president's been shot, and he may be dead or dying. Talking stopped, someone shouted, what? I ran out to the street. People were gathered everywhere, saying, did you hear what they said on TV? And then a guy in a Porsche, with his radio hit his horn, And told us the news He said the president's dead He was shot twice in the head In Dallas And they don't know by whom I dreamed I was the president Of these United States I dreamed that I was young and smart And it was not a waste I dreamed that there was a point to life and to the human race. I dreamed that I could somehow comprehend that someone shot him in the face. Oh, the day John Kennedy died. Yeah
3: There's outdoor work to be done. There's Echo Outdoor Power Equipment. Echo products deliver the reliability, quality, and performance you need to tackle everything on your outdoor to-do list. From chainsaws and string trimmers to leaf blowers and edgers, Echo's full range of pro-grade outdoor power tools are built to meet the demands of outdoor work. Visit us today, your local Echo dealer. Learn more at echo-usa.com. Echo. Power on and on. Where there's outdoor work to be done, there's Echo Outdoor Power Equipment. Echo products deliver the reliability, quality, and performance you need to tackle everything on your outdoor to-do list. From chainsaws and string trimmers to leaf blowers and edgers, Echo's full range of pro-grade outdoor power tools are built to meet the demands of outdoor work. Visit us today, your local Echo dealer. Learn more at echo-usa.com. Echo. Power on and on.